Hey everyone and good morning and welcome to church. Hey, just got a couple of quick announcements before we get started. If you are guests with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you just check out SalemFields.com slash guest, uh, all the information you could possibly want to know about us is there. Also at any time, we're going to be worshiping a couple of different ways. We're going to be worshiping through song, we're going to be worshiping through message, and then we also worship through our giving. And so there are many ways that you can give. You can go out to one of the giving kiosks out there or online. Just click that little green button in the top right hand corner. As always, just give as the Lord leads. And uh, also just a couple of things. Uh, we have our uh, Labor Day fireworks. It's our community fireworks celebration that is coming up. Uh, we launched our uh, volunteer form this week. So if you just go to SalemFields.com slash fireworks, you'll be able to sign up uh, for uh, really so many different opportunities to be able to serve this community. So check that out. Uh, also, we are also taking sponsors for that as well, so all those details are there. We also have an outdoor movie night that's coming up in August, uh, so really uh, make plans to be there for that. We're showing the movie Hook, and it's going to be a great time. And then uh, lastly, if you are a man and you're interested in our men's softball life group, uh, they're going to be playing in the county league. Uh, Sign-ups are happening right now, so definitely get signed up there. You can email uh, salemfields.com softball. Let's stand to our feet. As we worship together this morning, it's great to see y'all. Pastor James has a great word for us today. So let's just open our hearts to the Lord and let's engage together. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. No creation waits. With an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth gives way. For the risen one is overcome. For every fear, there's an empty Now the silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry, let the earth respond. All creation shouts with a voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be Here we sing. He shall reign forever. Strongholds now surrender for the Lord. Our God is overcome. He shall reign forever. Strongholds now surrender. He is Lord and He has overcome. Come on. He shall reign forever. Strongholds. Surrender for the Lord. 
way for the risen one is overcome believe this and for every fear there's an empty grave for the risen one is overcome we will not be this morning for he has overcome and his victory is our own father we thank you so much for that truth that in you are we are victorious we don't have to earn that we just have to choose to believe it father all we have to do is look to the cross and see your faithfulness see your shed blood and know that it's through the cross and through your resurrection that we are set free I've tried so hard to see it It took me so long to believe it That you choose someone like me To carry your victory Perfection could never earn it You give what we don't deserve it you take the broken things and raise them to glory. Let's declare this. Yes, you are my champion. And giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won. I am who you say I am. Crown me with confidence, I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all. Now I can finally see it, you're teaching me how to receive it. The striving cease. This is my victory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every Father, we praise you. We worship you with a heart full of gratitude and thankfulness, Lord. We stand firm in our confidence of who you are and who you say we are. So when 
so many times that we actually, if we're real with ourselves, there's this place where I think we become victorious, but we almost take that as a piece of complacency or comfort. That you know what, like, I'm victorious and, and I'm set free, but then that doesn't necessarily cause me to go out and be bold with my faith. It just, sometimes I think we get comfortable. And we just use it to be complacent, but that's not what we're called to do. We're actually called to take that victory and be empowered. To go into every season already knowing that we are victorious. To go into every obstacle, every circumstance, every relationship, knowing that we are victorious and knowing that we bring an empowerment there because of who he is. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of anything we're capable of, but because of who he is is and he wants to move through us he wants us to be his hands and feet to go out into this dying world that is desperately needing the hope and message of jesus christ not for us to shrink back but for us to go in boldness and victory so we need to rise up and be a people of faith but we don't just need to go in our own strength and our own power but in the name of jesus in the power of his blood and so our worship what we do here on a Sunday morning is not to just be left here, but it is to be a every single moment and every single day thing of taking that victory, of taking a worship of him out into this world, praising his name. So I say let's lift up his name here in these moments, but then let's continue to take that as we go out and we love and we serve this community in this world. Can we do that? 
So, Father, we just want to be a people that praise you, Lord, that praise your holy name. God, so move through us, flow through us. I sing praises to your name. His praises to your name. The name that's so much higher than all names. So to rise. Hold on to your name as we sing. Hold on to your name, the name that's so much greater than old names. Be lifted up, be lifted higher. Oh 
can have our lives, Lord, for your good, for what you want to do, Father, to carry your message of hope. just want to be that people. you to have it all. I just want you to have my life. Father, I don't want to withhold anything from you. I just want you to move through me, Father, to bring glory to your name. Father, I want to be a person that just goes out and just lets your light shine in and through me, Father. And just sing this out. message of hope that is only found in you to our communities to our workplaces to our homes to our world father 
And Jesus, our hearts are open to you as we lean into this message. God, let us hear from you as we've come to meet with you. Be with Pastor James as he delivers the word. God, our ears are open, our hearts are open. Speak for your servants are listening, Father. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. can be seated. Good morning, Salem Fields. Good to see you this morning. morning. Doing well? Good, good. Hey, I uh, spent a couple of days uh, on a campground and uh, (laughs) and I was uh, I I stayed in a pretty rustic place. Right. It's a really rustic place and uh, hadn't been stayed in about two years and uh, I couldn't vacuum up enough of the dust. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, so I was coughing and different things like that. But it's good to get away sometime and to get some, uh, to get some teaching. And Susie Schellenberger was a speaker, and she'll be here in the spring, and she'll be doing a dig week here in the spring. So we'll be looking forward to getting uh, uh, connected with her. Hey, if you haven't been here, if this is your first time here, back coming back, or first time here, we're glad you're here. Welcome back. We've been in a series called Revelation, and we started Revelations, a three a summer series, a three summer series, and we're doing a, a verse by verse look at the book of Revelation. And so uh, t- we started with the first series, Start at Home, because John the Apostle was told to write what is and what is to come, and what was was these seven churches that throughout Asia Minor, and we've just been looking at each church and going through each church and seeing what Jesus would say to the church. And so today we're going to be looking at the church of Sardis. And now there's a, um, I want to tell you a story. When, when Rose and I got married, we discovered uh, that we have differences when it comes to sleeping. Uh, we begin to recognize these differences very early in our marriage. Now when Rose is really, really tired, she snores just a little bit. I think I'm in trouble. I think I'm in trouble. But, but she snores, and, and, and when I get really, really tired and, uh, and really, really stressed, I grind my teeth. Can you imagine it? A snorer on one side when they're really tired and a teeth grinder on the other side. She's an early-to-bed person. She's an early-to-bed person, an early-to-rise person. And while I'm a night owl and a late-morning person, she sleeps deeply and I sleep lightly. We even like to be awakened by two different types of alarms. I would venture that there are some of you who would like my type of alarm. My type of alarm is like this. Hear that? I I like the loud kind of brash kind of alarm because if, if it's not loud enough and it's not brash enough, I don't get up. I just hit the snooze button and I go back to sleep. And so I need something not loud and loud like that. Now, Rosie, Rosie likes something very soft and jazz-like. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, take our first SFCC informal, non-scientific, non-binding poll. By a show of hands here today, who would say you like to be, you like to be awakened by kind of the acid rock loud, loud alarm? Just put your hands up. Keep them up there. We want to count here because we want to make sure we get this non-scientific, non-binding poll, okay? So I got those hands. Now put your hands down. Who likes the soft melody? Yeah, okay. See those hands right here? It's, it's, it's about a tie. 
So I, I'm not right. I was trying to prove I was right and you guys didn't even help me. No, no, no. So, so we got two groups here. Some like the loud and some like the soft. Well, we're talking about a fifth church this morning of our seven churches in Asia Minor, Sardis, which was a church asleep. So Jesus sets off a really loud alarm clock so that they can wake up. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Revelation 3, 1 through 16. Uh, 1 through 6, excuse me, and it's going to be on the screen if you don't have them, your phones or whatever. Here's what it says. Write this to Sardis, to the angel of the church, the one holding the seven spirits of God in one hand, a firm grip on the seven stars with the other speaks. I see right through your work. You have a rep reputation of vigor and zest, but you're dead Stone dead. Up on your feet. Take a deep breath. Maybe there's life left in you yet. But I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing, nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. Think about the gift that you once had in your hands. The message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. If you pull the covers back over your head and sleep on oblivious to God, I'll return when you least expect it and break into your life like a thief in the night. You still have a few followers of Jesus and Sardis who have not ruined themselves wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. They'll walk with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Conquerors will march in a victory parade. Their names indelibly in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. So what does Jesus say to a dying church? Don't give up, wake up. Jesus saying to a dying church, don't give up, wake up. The church of Sardis was a reflection of the city in many ways. The city of Sardis was built on a plateau about 1,500 feet above a plain. There was only one narrow way to get into the city. It was very easily guarded. You could see anybody coming up. So it was the kind of city where you had this narrow way of getting up, and because you had to come up this 15 foot, every, you could see everybody coming up. You could not miss anybody. Yet twice in history, once by the Persians and once by the Greeks, the city was taken. Do you know how it was taken both times? I'm glad you asked. Both times it was taken because a group of dedicated soldiers went up the side of a cliff. They saw some of the people of the city climbing up and down the cliffs, and they figured how to climb up the cliffs. They climbed up at night, and when they got to the top, there was no one guarding the city. No one. The reason why is because they were so convinced that no one could attack the city, so they were all asleep. Interesting. It's interesting that Jesus would say to this church, you're dead. Don't give up. Wake up. So when Jesus is writing to the church, he says, guys, wake up. With an acid, acid rock alarm, uh, everyone in the church zoned in on exactly what he was saying. If you're not awake, if you're doing the snooze thing at the wrong time, you open yourself up for attack. And that's what they did. The city and the church in it, 
is a perfect example of what I call cockiness and conceit when it comes to the way that we do our lives. I don't know if you've noticed why I was reading but the, the text, but the strange thing about the church is it doesn't have any of the problems that the other church did, had, churches have had. I mean, they have no false teachers there. They, they're not suffering persecution, uh, and they're not where Satan's throne is. So they don't have any of those situations. So, so they have become cocky and conceited in their lifestyles. A little bit, it could, they could be a little bit like us. We don't, we don't deal with some of the persecutions that the rest of the world is dealing with. I mean, we have access to the Bible. We have access to good teaching. I mean, we, we don't have some of those issues. And if we're not careful, you and I can possess a faith or a relationship with God that grows weaker and weaker instead of stronger and stronger. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago that sometimes persecution drives us to a place where we go deeper in our faith. Sometimes persecution drives us to our knees in prayer. Sometimes persecution drives us to the word. But this was a church that none of that. And so they were not going, growing stronger and stronger. They were going weaker and weaker. And so Jesus writes and says, wake up. I still want to do work in your life. I want to Engage your faith. Don't fall back to sleep. And so I've been thinking about, well, well, how do you respond to this kind of letter from John that comes from the Lord, the lamb that's been slain, the main thing in the book of Revelation? I think there are a couple of prayers that we pray as we receive this kind of letter. And as I was reading this letter this week, and I'm reading it again and again and again, trying to get it in and understand it. I think three, three prayers uh, came to my mind because here's what's going on there. He had to wake them up. It meant the Sardis didn't even know that they were asleep. They didn't know they were asleep at the wheel. They did not know that they were in bad shape. And so this letter comes to them as a jarring, a jarring letter. I, be I believe they thought that if Jesus was going to write them a letter, he would have written them a letter about how, how great they were. I mean, they didn't have any of the stuff going on, and they were living kind of decent Christian lives. We'll get back to that. But this was a jarring letter for them. So I imagine that there were some blind spots in their lives. And so the first prayer would be, Lord, show me the blind spots in my life. Show me the blind spots in my life. Jesus said, I see right through your work. And here's where you need to see the blind spots. You have a reputation for vigor and zest. So, so they believed their reputation. They believed what people were saying about them. They believed what people were saying about their outward appearance. They believed what they were putting out. But Jesus said, you might believe that reputation, but you're dead, stone dead. Jesus knew the blind spots in the, in the lives of the people in the Sardis church. So he's saying to the church, I know the difference between your reputation and the, rea and the reality. I, I, I know the difference between what people say about you and what people think about you. 
between the word on the street about you and the reality in your life. I know the difference between the R's in your life, the reality versus reputation. Jesus knows our blind spots too. He knows our reputation is the thing that everybody thinks about us versus our character, what we really are. So Jesus knows my reputation. He knows your reputation and he knows our true character because he knows us better than anyone else. And he says, there are a few blind spots here and there. You got a few places in life that people are thinking this about you, but you're heading in the wrong direction. I can imagine that this was shocking to the church in Sardis because the people of the church of Sardis were decent folks. But they had a blind spot or two because all they saw, all they wanted to be were decent folks. You know, there are some folks who live their Christian lives and the goal of their Christian life is just to be decent folks. Just to be good, decent folks. They're not dangerous. They're not desirable. They're just decent folks. And it seems like Sardis were decent folks and they were satisfied with being decent folks. But Jesus was saying, there's nothing about you that draws people in. You, you have a reputation, but you don't have very much energy. There's no life in you. The reality is that there are people who, you know, this is it. I want to be decent. I want to be a person that gets up in the morning, you know, if someone would say, have a little breakfast, go to work. You know, I'm decent at work. I'm nice to people. I smile. I'm polite. Right. I come home. I, I have a little dinner, talk to the kids a little bit, watch some TV, go to bed, get up the next day. I'm a decent person. But Jesus is blunt in his pronouncement. He doesn't say you have a reputation for vigor and zest. So so I want to help you with this. You've got a few problems. I'd like to help you move to the next level. No, he says you're dead, stone dead. How's that for tax? I mean, there's, there's no movement in that. There's no movement. I would prefer him to say it to me like this, James, you could be alive. Or James, maybe you'll be alive next week. Or James, you used to be alive, but dead, stone dead. That's a little bit harsh. Why would Jesus be so blunt? Because he wanted them and us to see our blind spots, the difference between our reputation and our reality. There are a couple other blind spots that we need to look at and face between our reputation and reality. The blind spot between what you say and what you do. We can say great things, but it's tough to back those things up. I can say, I love you, Lord, but do I really? I can say, Lord, I want to be your disciple, that, 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 that we really want to follow Jesus Christ. But the question is, if we're looking at our lives, will we say our lives are disciplined? Because the key word in disciple is discipline. The discipline, are we in the word? Is, is prayer part of your schedule? I mean, we can say we want to be a disciple. And, and, and we can say we want to be in the habit of prayer and Bible reading and meditation and tithing and serving. But it's not easy. It's a struggle. Because God never promised 
that removing our blind spots or waking up would be easy. Calvin Miller, great Christian writer and one author of one of my favorite trilogy of books, The Singer, The Song, and The Finale, says it well. Many Christians are Christaholics and not disciples at all. Disciples are cross-bearers. They seek Christ. Christaholics seek happiness. Disciples dare to discipline themselves and demand they, the, the, the demand they place on themselves leave them enjoying the happiness of their growth. But Christaholics are escapists looking for a shortcut to nirvana. Like drug addicts, they are trying to bomb out of their depressing world. There is no automatic joy. Christ is not a happiness capsule. He, he is the way to the Father, but the way to the Father is not a carnival ride in which we sit and do nothing while we're whisked through various spiritual sensations. If we're not careful, we will miss the blind spot between what we say and do. If we're really in discipleship, we'll pray, Jesus, show me my blind spots because I want to be a person that you want me to be. There's a blind spot between aspirations and, and actuality. It's huge for many of us. It's huge for me. You know, I, there's some things that I, I say, man, I, I want to do this, and it's an aspirational thing, but sometimes it, it just does, it's not reality, right? I, I mean, we can say stuff like, I love my family, and that's aspiration, but if we don't spend time, if we don't spend quality time with them, then the question is, do we actually love them? We can say, I, I want to do ministry, and, but, but if we have no time, if we can't find time to carve time in our schedule to do ministry, the question is, is that an aspirational value or is that an actual value? You can say, I really love purity, but if we keep on filling our minds with the junk of the world, then there's a blind spot. As we hear Jesus say to this church, it looks like you're respectable, but you're dead. The challenge for us to pray is this. Jesus, show me the blind spots of my life because I don't want to be stone cold dead, but have a reputation for being alive. Be careful what people say about you. Be careful listening to what people say about you. It's more important to know what, to, to understand and to hear what God knows about you. Because here's the deal, we can do the outward thing. We talk about it all the time. We can have outward appearances that look pretty good and everybody can think we're a great person. But I want to know what God says, what God says, because God knows my heart you remember the story of Samuel. Maybe you, you don't. It's Samuel, who's a prophet, go, is going to look for a king, and he goes to the house of Jesse because God has said to him the next king is going to be the house of Jesse, and Jesse lines up all of his sons, the strong, good-looking sons from the oldest to the youngest, and Samuel the prophet goes on, and even Samuel the prophet is fooled. Because he goes to the strongest, oldest son way down on this side and he looks good and he's strong and he's a warrior. And Samuel says, this must be the person. And God says, no, I've rejected that person. Samuel scratches his head. He goes to the next person. This must be a person. No, 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 no. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, be careful. Man looks at outwards. Humanity looks at the outward, but I look on the heart. And it was the small, scrawny, 
Roddy look, Roddy, Roddy looking, kind of sheep smelling, sheep hanging out with guy. That was the next king. Be careful. Be careful what people say about you. It's more important what God knows about you. And so we're asking God, God, show me my blind spots. The difference between what you say and what you do, your aspiration, your action is a blind spot that Jesus wants to correct. Then there's the difference between where we are and where we were. The blind spot, uh, uh, I guess I could ask the question like this. Think back, think back over two years, if you've been in the faith for a little while, think back over two years and ask yourself, am I farther along on the faith journey today than I was two years ago? Don't do three months evaluation because we have ups and downs. We have good days and bad days. But in, in two years, in two years, there should be some sense of where we are. And, and, and begin to ask the question, have I made any progress on my faith journey? Do I feel like I'm closer to God than I was two years ago? Or do I feel like I'm further away from God than I was two years ago? The difference between where you are and, and where you were and where you are that can be a good news for some of us, and for some of us, that can be really tough news because there's been no change or decline. Another a blind spot is the materialism blind spot, not needing money but needing more things. I, I, I just need more stuff. I, I just need more stuff where I think I need more stuff. So, so because I need more stuff, I need more money. And, and, and I could call it the comparison blind spot when we're comparing ourselves to other people. And so because someone else has a new car and someone else has a new house and someone else has a new outfit and someone else has a new job or someone else has a new whatever or improved whatever, sometimes we believe we need it as well. The blind spot of materialism, the fear blind spot, the fear of telling the truth. This blind spot happens when we're working and, and, and we're involved in something and telling the truth might mess it up, whether it's a job or a relationship. And so we can fall into the blind spot of fear of telling the truth or the pride blind spot. I'm humble and all of that, but I really like when people recognize me. Have you ever seen a person who, who is humble but not really humble? You ever seen that person? Uh, they're, they're humble, but they, they put themselves in position to be seen and heard and applauded. And then when you start to do it, they kind of back off. The hum humility blind spot. The, uh, the lying blind spot. The other side of the truth gap. You find yourself lying again and again and again. And then it's the forgiveness blind spot. I know I should forgive this person. I know the Bible says that I should forgive this person, but I can't do it. I can't forgive that person. That's a blind spot that we face. The image blind spot. We like our stuff. We like keeping up. But if we're not careful, all of our stuff will be about our reputation and not our reality. Just more blind spots. So the question is this. Do we see the blind spots? Because with first prayer is God show me the blind spots. And after God shows us the blind spots, how do we deal with them? By praying the second prayer. Not just help me see the blind spots, but number two, Lord, help me get rid of the blind spots. 
I was taking Jay to the doctor some time ago, and, uh, and I, I remember it because it happened right, if you turn off of Gordon Road on the Route 3, right there near the 7-Eleven happened. And, um, and here's the deal. Uh, I, don't usually, um, I don't usually like poor drivers. I don't know about you, but I don't like poor drivers. I, I decided that the reason why there's so many accidents on Route 3 is because so many people moved in from so many areas and learned to drive in so many different areas than Fredericksburg, and everybody has their style of driving. And, uh, and, and, and for me, if it's not my style of driving, if you don't drive my style of driving, you're a poor driver. And, and so I had this poor driver, and, and, and you know, it's not, not my best moment. Not my best moment. So I do my maneuver of turning this way really quickly to get in front of him and turn back the other way. You, you know, you guys are Christian folks, so you don't do that. I get it. I get it. So, so I went to do my maneuver, and I didn't look at, check my blind spot. And I go to pull over like this, and I, I almost become the driver that I was talking about that was in front of me. That I called a word, and I had to stop saying because Jay would use the word idiot. And so, um, I, I, so I, I didn't check my blind spot. And here's the reality. What Jesus is doing in this story is he was helping them with their blind spots. See, see. Blind spots and getting rid of them is a pretty big deal in our spiritual lives, but not just in our spiritual life, but in our physical lives. Most cars now have blind spot detectors. Either there's a light that says someone's in your blind spot, or sometimes there's a mirror they put up in the very corner that helps you see the blind spot. So what Jesus was doing is he was giving them an emergency detector or a secondary mirror so that they could get, see their blind spots and begin to kind of respond to their blind spots. So later in the letter, Jesus begins to kind of work with them when he says, up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet. Think of the gift you once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. If you pull the covers over your head and sleep on oblivious to God, I'll return when you least expect it and break into your life like a thief in the night. So how do you reconcile the two hours of reputation reality? Jesus tells them how, and he walks them through this. You want to see it? Go look at the verses. He says, first of all, up on your feet, awake. The church of, uh, of Sardis had become part of the city that once had been a great city and stood as a centerpiece of power. But by the time this letter is written, the city was instead a pleasure city, something sort of like the Las Vegas of his days. Lots of activities, lots of lights, lots of doing whatever feels good. So how do good Christians fall into a life of doing what feels good? Easy, by not being awake. Susie Schellenberger said the other night that the tide is rising, the tide of culture is rising and sometimes because we're asleep, we, we're in danger of being washed away with the tide of culture because we're asleep. I found in life that there are two points at which we're most vulnerable to attack. So we've got to be real careful with both of these two points. The first point is the weakest link. The weakest link in our lives. We gotta be careful at our weakest point at the place where we've fallen before if we ever start to say to ourselves, I think I got this covered. 
I think I can just kind of lay easy and go easy on this, on this part. We'll end up falling again. Just like Sardis needed to know the weakest place of attack, we need to be guard on guard of our, on, at our weakest point. The second point is the strongest place. We also need to protect the strongest place, the place in your life where you feel your strongest because that's where pride sets in. And the Bible says pride goes before fall. The place in your life where you would say, I might fall in a lot of places. I might have a lot of things that I don't do well, but this is my my place of expertise. I would never fall here. This place needs to be protected as well. So there's a place in your life where you feel like, I got that one. I've got it taken care of. Ask God for protection in your weakest place and your strongest place. Number two, he says, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet. It's great advice. If you want to wake up a marriage, if you want to wake up a relationship, if you want to wake up your spiritual life, take a deep breath. You see, what usually do the opposite. Sometimes when we feel like we're failing at something and we've blown it, we just kind of give up and give in. We kind of just lay down. But Jesus says to the church of Sardis, don't give up. Wake up. Take a deep breath. Get some air into your lungs. It will help you see the blind spots and get rid of them. Jesus said, find that area in your spiritual life, that area in your marriage, that area in your relationship that might still be alive and focus on it. If you want to grow in your spiritual life and, and you haven't really talked to God in a while, find the one thing that, that, that still has some life in it and, and go with that. Maybe it's worship for you. Maybe you're, you're not into the word, you're, you're not meditating, you're, you're not engaged in community, but, but you really get worship still moves you. Then go with worship with a little while. Focus on worship and let God speak to you through worship. Maybe it's getting to the word. Then take that and just pour yourself in it. And as God wakes that up, he'll be, begin to wake up relationship. The third thing he says is think of the gift you once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. God's word is an important part of this change. Remember what you heard from God's word. Start to pick it up again. Start to read it again. The tough part of getting back into the word is when you read, you always have to obey. See, obedience also means we return to God. So we read the word, we obey the word, and then the obeying means there's a turnaround, repentance. And here's the problem. The problem is sometimes we get to the place in our lives where we like where we are. We like the stuff that we're in. And we don't really want to change anything. That's why the word is important, because the word will speak truth to us. And as the truth comes to us and we begin to obey it, we begin to say, I got to turn around. I got to repent. This, this change is not just being sorry for what we've done. It's a turnaround in a different direction. And then he says this the last thing, turn back to God. When Jesus writes to the church, he, he says, obey and repent. He's expressing to them that obedience is often going to involve a new direction in life. That's what repentance means. And that's what Jesus wants for us, a new direction in life. 
And so if we have a reputation of, uh, of vigor and zest and yet we're stone cold dead, he wants to change something. He wants to turn around. And then there's a third prayer, the last prayer to pray. This is the confidence prayer that empowers the other prayers. Let me say that again. This is a confidence prayer that empowers the other prayers. Here's the prayer. Lord, I will conquer. Listen to what it says. He talks about those who conquer. He says this, they'll walk with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Conquerors will march in a victory parade. Their names indelibly in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. Are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Some of you are thinking, shouldn't that say, I hope I will conquer? I mean, shouldn't it, shouldn't it say, I like to conquer? Why so confidence? Why is it, Lord, I will conquer? The word conquer is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word that comes from the same root of the word as the word of the Greek goddess of victory, a goddess that you all may know well, Nike. The idea is if you wear a Nike product that you will be victorious, you will conquer I will, uh, and, and so Jesus says, as you conquer, I will put you as a victor on parade. Back during those days when a force would win a war, when a force would win a war, when they conquered, they would come home to a victor's parade. Remember, a victory parade is what got David, the shepherd boy, in trouble because as he was coming home after slaying Goliath, the women started singing a song something like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. That will get you in trouble. Jesus says they'll walk with me on parade. They prove their worth. Conquerors will march in a victory parade. To really understand what Jesus is saying here, you need to understand what he means. He's talked, when he's talking about the word conquer, it's used throughout the Bible and understanding us will give us some assurance and hope that we need to face the future. What does it mean for the one who conquers? The word shows up at the beginning of the nation of Israel. It's the word that shows up at the beginning of the church when Jesus instituted. That's how important the word is. In the beginning of the nation of Israel, back in Genesis 32, after Jacob had wrestled with God, God's angel said to him, your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, God wrestler. You wrestle with God and you have come through. You have conquered. Here's the word, a sense of a conquering as a nation. And then when the church is instituted, Jesus says to Peter, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. So expansive and with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Even all the hell has to throw at it. It will not conquer the church. It could open up its gates and throw everything at us, but it can't keep us out because of what we have in Christ Jesus. The promise of being a conqueror is so important that Jesus at the end of each of these messages to the churches tells them how they're going to conquer Revelation 2-7, I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit, a supper plucked from God's orchard. 
Revelations 2.11, Christ conquerors are safe from the devil's death. Revelation 2.26, here's the reward I have for every conqueror, everyone who keeps at it, refusing to give up. You'll rule the nations. Your shepherd king rules as firm as an iron staff. He who overcomes, he who conquers and does the will to the end, I will give the authority over the nations. Revelation 2.17, I will give a sacred manna to every conqueror. Revelation 3.12, I will make each conqueror a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, a permanent position of honor. And then Revelation 3.21, conquerors will sit alongside of me at the head table, just as I have conquered and took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to conquerors. Jesus talked to, John talked about this in his letter to the churches. First John, he says this, every God-begotten person conquers the world ways. The conquering power that brings the world to his knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world ways is simply one who believes in Jesus, believes Jesus is the son of God. If you're God's child, if you've been born of God, if you're a belonger, the Bible says you're a conqueror. That's what God says about you. That's why we can pray, God, thank you that I will conquer because your spirit is in me. I'm going to struggle in this world, but I am going to conquer. And let me say something to you this morning. It's really hard to be a conqueror without struggles because you got to conquer something. See, sometimes we want to conquer without any struggles. If you're going to conquer, it means you have to get through a struggle. And then circle the word every, every God-begotten person. If you're thinking, not me, it's just, I'm just going to struggle the rest of my life. If you are a God-begotten person, maybe you say, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. What does every mean if it doesn't mean you? If you are God-begotten, you are a conqueror. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. To say, to say, God, show me my blind spots. God, help me get rid of my blind spots. And I want to challenge you to pray, I will conquer. Because that's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of faith. And faith is not conquering and then saying, I conquered. No, faith is, I will conquer. I'm going to have struggles. I'm going to go through it in this world. There are going to be sometimes I have blind spots that I don't see. Sometimes the alarm bell is going to be turned on really loud. But here's what I know. Because I'm a child of God, because God's spirit lives inside of me, I will conquer. And when you start to live your life like that, when you start to live your life like that, that prayer of faith is something that God can work with. And that, that, that prayer of faith, that attitude is something that's contagious because you'll be going through and someone will say, how are you going through? How are you making it? How are you making it happen? And you can say, I, I'm a conqueror. I am a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I know I'm going to make it. I know what the book looks like. And even if this takes my life, I will conquer. It's something. Is something that the world does not understand. And when they come and ask, you can say, through Christ Jesus, I'm a conqueror. So let me ask you a question. Take a two-year inventory. What does your spiritual life look like? 
Is it better? Is it worse? What about your reputation versus the reality? What are people saying about you versus what God says about you? It's important. It's important. Let's be conquerors through the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so the alarm clock is going off really loud. Acid rock alarm clock trying to get us to wake up because we might have the reputation of being vigorous and energetic. But listen to what God says. Yes, God could be saying something totally different. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you, you said that we're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And so, Father, today, would you help us to, to understand the two R's and to understand what R is more important. Lord, reputation, we, we like reputation, but Father, would you help us see the reality of our lives? Would you put a mirror in front of us, Father? Father, I'm convinced that there's some people that <laughs> you have put a mirror in front of and when they, when they hear your Holy Spirit speaking and you are speaking, you're here, you always speak in your word. Your word never returns to you void. You're showing them some reality stuff. You're throwing off that alarm clock. And Lord, we have to do business with that. We have to see the blind spots that you're showing us. And we have to be about getting up we have to be about remembering the word that we had. We have to be about taking a deep breath. We have to be about repentance and turning around and coming back to God. Father, it's not just enough to be decent folks. It's not enough to be decent belongers. We need to be people that people desire to be around, dangerous because of the way we challenge our culture. Would you help us, Father? And Lord, there may be some people in the auditorium even today or listening to me online who don't have a relationship with you. And so the alarm clock that has gone off in their head is a relationship. And Father, you are, you are more wanting that relationship than they are. In fact, you've, you provided the grace, not getting what we deserve, but getting what we don't deserve. You provided that grace for them to come to a place of realizing that they need a relationship with you. And so, Father, help them to seek you, to just say, Lord, I, I want to be in relationship. I want you to be the the Lord of my life, forgive my sin, help me to, to repent and to turn around and to walk towards you. And if you're like that this morning, you can pray a prayer like that. And God will hear that prayer and God will answer that prayer. Maybe you're a belonger here today. And even though you have a reputation, everybody around you thinks that you're a great person, you're a decent person, 
You do all the stuff, you check off all the boxes, you serve, you give, but God has just showed you the reality of your life and you're near dead or dead. Today, today there can be a turnaround. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us that you would help us. And if you're like that, you can pray a prayer like this. God, thank you for the alarm clock. I'm not pushing snooze this time. I'm getting up. I'm taking a deep breath. I'm remembering where I was. And I'm returning. I'm turning around. I'm repenting. And I'm walking towards you because I will be a conqueror. Father, thank you for what you're doing in these days in your church. Father, help us not to give up, but to wake up. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, hey guys, we, uh, we just uh, want to, if you have some kind of response today, we want to know about it. So we have a card that we have up, and, and uh, you can go online and check that out, and and you can just let us know about your decision today because we want to help you on your journey. We don't want to just be a church that helps you make decisions, but we want to come alongside you, and we want to help you on your journey today. And so even uh, if you made a decision today, whether you're online or here in the auditorium, uh, you can just email, email me at james at salemfields.com, and I would love to talk to you about your decision and help you with the next step. Thank you for being here today, guys. Love you guys.